That's why you never want the number one overall draft pick in your fantasy football league. It's a curse. It is not a blessing, friends. It is a curse. Welcome into the Doug Russell Podcast Weekend Edition. The Packers with a must-win at Detroit on Sunday. And the Waukesha football team with a must-win over the weekend as well. Yes, that is what I named the football team after the Washington football team. I think it's a clever name. Uh, but we were, I quote-unquote, cursed or blessed, whatever you want to look at. It's cursed with the number one overall pick in the iHeartRadio Milwaukee Fantasy Football League this year. And the consensus, by the way, I understand nobody wants to hear about your fantasy football team. This is only a 30-second aside because there actually is a point here. Uh, but we were blessed with, at least, you know, you thought about that at the time, with the number one overall draft pick in the draft back in, what was it, early September. And the consensus throughout every fantasy football publication website that you consulted, the same name popped to the top of every single list. And it's a guy we all root for here in the state of Wisconsin, former Badger star Jonathan Taylor, who had a marvelous breakout season for the Indianapolis Colts last year, but has not been able to stay on the field this year because he has a high ankle sprain and it just keeps getting re-aggravated. So who did I pick with the number one overall pick? Did I pick Jonathan Taylor? Of course I picked Jonathan Taylor. If there's a local tie and you think that you can ride this guy to a championship, damn it, that's what you do. But it has been a curse because, as you know, with these serpentine drafts, you pick, then you wait 20 minutes, and then you pick twice, and then you wait another 20 minutes, and so on and so forth. So I didn't get the team that I wanted. I got the player that I thought I wanted, that every fantasy football owner thought they wanted. But now you're stuck with a team that, without your number one guy, pretty much sucks. And so, if you ever get the number one overall pick in the draft, trade it. That I mean, if I ever get it ever again, I'm trading it. Without question, without hesitation, I'm taking on all comers. Who do you got? Let's do some wheeling and dealing because this isn't going to work. That is the, uh, the point of my fantasy football screed. Welcome into the show. The uh, Packers, they've got their backs up against the wall. And we've seen this before. And tangentially, I think everybody's trying to reach back to when the Packers last lost. Well, not the last time they lost four in a row. Because the last time that the Packers lost four in a row, Mike McCarthy got fired. There was that embarrassment at Lambeau Field against the Arizona Cardinals, who only lost or who only won three games that season, two of them were against a terrible San Francisco 49ers team, terrible at the time, San Francisco 49ers team, and the other one was to the Green Bay Packers. And that's what led to Mike McCarthy's firing. But the time prior to that, when they had lost four in a row, was in 2016. And that was after, almost ironically, because the Washington Commanders were the Packers' third straight loss, but the then-named Washington Redskins, that was the embarrassing loss that led to Aaron Rodgers' As an aside, saying, yeah, I think we can I think we can run the table. And it's almost like once he said that, people were out printing T-shirts. It was just an aside. Even Aaron, you'll hear this coming up in just a few minutes here on the podcast. Aaron was even asked about that. When you said that, what was the impetus behind that? Did you think really that you thought that you could run the table? And it was nice to hear some honesty from Aaron Rodgers. 
who I think is one of the rare breed of athletes who will actually be honest with you. And I know they kind of lamented that last week when he said, well, you know, do you want me to be honest or do you want me to just give you the pap that most, that, that, that most professional athletes give you? I, I want him to be honest. I'll never ding Aaron Rodgers for being honest. Now, for some of the things that that honesty would lead to, I think that there's the potential for some problematic things. I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers was saying problematic things because I don't think that he was, but at least he was being honest. And he was honest on Wednesday when he was asked about that whole run the table thing. And he's like, yeah, I just kind of said it. I, you know, it was just, it was an aside. And it was. What was made out by ESPN and others to be this grand statement of, we will run the table, like he was holding a damn scepter or something. It was an aside. I was standing right there when he said it. I still have the audio. Here's what he said. I feel like we can run the table. I really do. I think uh, the offense is starting to click a little bit more. We just got to put together a game where we're consistent from the first snap to the last. We've been, uh, I think, getting closer to that. We've really been clicking at times in the last few games. But, you know, it's going to be important that we get going early. We had three three and outs start the last game. But overall on the season, we've done a better job of limiting our three and outs. Uh, we've been sustaining drives pretty well. Obviously, with uh, uh, with Michael being in the mix this week, gives us uh, you know two traditional running backs, which I think changes the face of our offense. And you add uh, Jared and what he did last week. I just feel like it just takes one. We get one under our belts, things might start rolling for us, and we can run the table. That was nothing. Aaron Rodgers said nothing. Yeah, I think we can run the table, and, and they did. The Packers didn't lose another game until the NFC Championship game. They were left for dead at that point of the season. They were, what, 4-6 and six? after 10 games? Then they they won the last six games of the regular season. They went in to the wild card round, and they won, and then they won the next week, and they wound up in the NFC Championship game, and they just ran out of gas against a better Atlanta Falcons team. Ironically, their quarterback's coach at the time was Matt LaFleur, and then they went on to blow that 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. But that's, you know... A tiny little history lesson there. But the Packers just ran out of gas that year. It was a magical run that they were on. Is lightning going to strike twice? Stranger things have happened, I suppose. But if you look at where this Packers team is right now, and you look at who they've already lost against so far this season, and it doesn't, I think, give you a whole lot of confidence that the Packers can actually you know, make this run because of some of the losses that, at the beginning of the season, if you would have said that ah, the, the Packers are going to go to London and lose to the Giants, you would have thought you were crazy. But then they're going to lose to the Jets. You're crazy. Not only did they lose to the Jets, they got manhandled by the Jets. They lost to the now-named Washington Commanders. Everybody figured they would lose to the Bills, and they did, but they put up a fight in the second half against Buffalo. But that's where we're at right now. This is a team that's 3-5, and five, and they've got Detroit coming up. But you also look at who else they have coming up. Forget Detroit. Forget their explosive offense. They can't guard anybody. We'll get to that. Jeff Rieger from WXYT Radio in Detroit is going to join us in a few minutes. Give us a primer on the uh, Detroit Lions. But they still have Dallas coming up. Mike McCarthy's return to Lambeau Field. By the way, Fox is already running promos for that. You still have... The L.A. Rams, who haven't had a good season, but they're still the defending Super Bowl champs. There's still a lot of talent there. They still have Minnesota. And, oh, yeah, by the way, November 27th, they have to travel to Philadelphia to take on the NFL's last unbeaten team in the Philadelphia Eagles. This is not a schedule that says, yeah, I think we can run the table. 
This is not a schedule that even says, you know what, I think that I have the confidence in this team to say they're a probable playoff team, because I don't. Philadelphia, 8-0. and Dallas, 6-2. and Maybe the Giants are better than we thought. They're 6-2 and on the season, and even Washington is 4-4. Four and four. You look at Minnesota, 6-1 and one right now, running away with the NFC North. And then you look at the West. I mean, it's a little bit more wide open. Seattle leads the division at 5-3. and three. And I still think that Arizona's better than 3-5. and five. But I, I don't know that either one of those teams, either Los Angeles or Arizona, I don't know that they're playoff bound or anything like that. It's possible for the Packers to be a playoff team. But they have to start playing much better football. Because right now, as it sits, you're looking at three teams from the NFC East. There's only seven playoff spots. So each of the four division winners, they're going to go. So it looks like, as it stands right now, it's very easy to pick the four division winners. Not very easy, but, I mean, Philadelphia, uh, Minnesota, Atlanta, and Seattle. So that's four playoff teams right there. And then you go to Dallas, their playoff team right now at 6-2. and two. The Giants are a playoff team right now at 6-2. and two. And then what? Then it's a big jumbled mess. San Francisco, 4-4. Four and four. They would be uh, in the mix for a playoff spot right now. Washington, 4-4. Four and four. They would be in the mix for a playoff spot right now. And don't forget, Washington holds the tiebreaker. If it's Washington against Green Bay for the seventh playoff spot when the season ends, uh, the Commanders beat the, the Packers head-to-head. The Packers have the same record as the Chicago Bears. That is not where anybody thought that this team was going to be at the beginning of the season. So... Is it a must-win? Yeah, I pretty much think it is because of not only who they've lost, the Packers, who they've already lost to, but who they've got coming up as well. So a lot of things that didn't happen this week in Green Bay. One of the big things was there was no trade at the trading deadline this year. Uh, We kind of talked about that on the midweek edition of the podcast, and Aaron Rodgers was asked extensively about that, and we're going to get to Aaron Rodgers uh, from Wednesday at his locker here in a moment. But if there's not a trade to be made, do you make a trade to satisfy the masses? I don't know. Chase Claypool was traded for a second-round pick, and there was some suggestion among the fan base, among the social media uh, general managers, that, well, they should have added a fourth. Oh, okay. Now, best-case scenario for the Packers, that second-round pick turns into what? I don't know. Who's the worst second-round pick they ever had? Pat Lee? Brian Braum? You're hoping that it's a miss, and then the fourth-round pick would turn into an Allen Barber. I don't know. So I'm not saying that there's not a time to push your chips in the middle of the table. If you know anything about me, you know that I want to go for it. If I have that window that's even a crack open and there's an opportunity to go for it, I want to go for it because, number one, championships don't grow on trees, especially in the state of Wisconsin. But that window on Aaron Rodgers is closing, and a trophy is forever. That's it. Mike Heller and I on the game, we've gone back and forth a million times. Would I take the last 10 years and the next 10 years of the Kansas City Royals or the last 10 years and the next 10 years of the Milwaukee Brewers? And I say the Royals every time. The Royals went to -to back-to-back World Series, and they have a trophy. They have something that the Brewers have never had, and that is a World Series winning parade. They threw a parade for the Brewers when they lost the World Series in 82. But they've never won a World Series. As someone who has followed Brewers baseball my entire life, or practically my entire life, would I take 10 years of suck for a guaranteed World Series? You damn betcha I would. 
And I guess I'd say the same thing about the Packers because I lived through the 70s and the 80s in Wisconsin and, you know, growing up as a Packers fan. When 8-8 eight and eight was a good season. When 9-7 and seven was cause for celebration. But we've also gotten very, very spoiled. 30 years of Hall of Fame quarterback play will do that. Going to three Super Bowls, you want more, of course. But going to three Super Bowls and winning two of them, that'll, that'll set the bar pretty high. Not that the bar shouldn't be high. If you have two of the top 10 all-time quarterbacks in back-to-back stints on your team, you figure you're going to get more than a couple of shots at the Lombardi Trophy. And yet here we sit. So I'm always going to want to go for it. But there may not have been that trade to be made. The price might not have been right. Because the Packers have put so much into Aaron Rodgers. The Packers have backed up the Brinks truck knowing that that bill is going to come due. And you're just waiting and waiting. It's almost like you overspend on a house because you know that the inheritance is going to come. The inheritance in this case is the additional television money, which is going to uh, swell the salary cap. And then you're better able to absorb that. Yes and no, because the salary cap goes up for everybody. Salary cap will go up for the Cowboys. Salary cap will go up for the Rams. Salary cap will go up for the Patriots. Salary cap will go up for the Buccaneers. Salary cap goes up for everybody. And the Packers are still going to be on the hook for tens of millions of dollars of dead cap money because that was the choice that they made for Aaron Rodgers, the ability to keep Aaron Rodgers. And when you put that much money into one guy, it will hamstring you for what you can do down the road. Do the Packers have the money? Yes, absolutely. Nobody cares about how much money is in the coffers of Green Bay Packers, Inc. There is no owner. There are no dividends that shareholders get. It all goes back into the organization. It is a true nonprofit organization that just reaps profit year after year. It is a license to print money in Green Bay. But all of that money has to go back into the organization in some way, shape, or form. So there's no excuse to never spend up to the salary cap. There's no excuse to not have the finest facilities. There's no excuse to not have the finest of everything in Green Bay because there's not one guy who's paying for it. It's a big money room that has about a half a billion dollars in it right now. But there's the salary cap. And it's the reason that Green Bay was ever able to be a great team and a great franchise and a model franchise and a winning franchise to begin with. If this were the free-for-all that is Major League Baseball, the Green Bay Packers would have either folded or moved 50 years ago. But because of the economic model of the National Football League, the Green Bay Packers are the best story in sports. It's that whole adage of money corrupts. Of course it does. Money is the root of all evil. Isn't that the... uh, Isn't that the saying? I mean, it's true. It lets you do a lot of things, but it also prevents you from doing a lot of things, too. My point is, Packers fans have to understand that there's going to be some suck coming up. And you looked at this season as a really, really important one for one last push while you still have the asset of Aaron Rodgers, while he's still... 
a great quarterback. And he hasn't been great this year, but he's been good. But he also hasn't had a great wide receiver. The Packers, who is it? Maybe Pete Doherty or it might have been uh, Tom Silverstein. I'm not sure. But they made the point, and they're right, and I hadn't even thought about this. The Packers, the, the common theme is that the Packers have ignored the wide receiver position during this past offseason when they knew that Devontae Adams was gone and then ultimately they traded him. They spent three draft picks on wide receivers. Uh, Christian Watson, they traded up to get. Romeo Dobbs in the fourth round and then Samari Touré in the seventh round. All good wide receivers, and I think they all have a future in Green Bay. But the Packers, they didn't ignore it just this season. They've been ignoring it for three years. And that's the problem. That's why you see guys making these mental mistakes because they're kind of thrown into the wind right now and Aaron's getting all pissed off about it. The Packers fan base is getting all pissed off about it. And it's very frustrating. The defense hasn't performed as it should. Scathing article, I think it was from Pete Doherty in the uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and the Green Bay Press-Gazette. If things don't pick up on the defense, you might see another change at defensive coordinator. Don't, don't forget that Joe Barry wasn't Matt LaFleur's first choice. It was Jim Leonard, the guy who's running the show right now in Madison. So is this a must-win? Hell yeah, it's a must-win if you've got designs on the playoffs in 2022. And if you've got designs on the playoffs for the next several years. Because I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is coming back in 2023. I suspect that he is. But he also has kind of intimated, I want no part of a, of a rebuilding project. And I don't blame him. If I were Aaron Rodgers, I wouldn't want to be part of a rebuilding project either. He's going to be 39 years old in less than a month. He has already said that he's not going to play as long as Tom Brady. And Tom Brady looks very mortal right now, too. All right, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, uh, this is what he had to say in its entirety at his locker on Wednesday. And as you might suspect, he was asked a lot about the Packers' inactivity or at least the inability to pull the trigger on any trades for any wide receivers or anybody else. Here's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Devonte used to tell us he never got his hopes up around the trade deadline because he knew how this organization normally operates. Does that happen with you? And did you maybe get your hopes up a little this year just because of the stage of the career that you're at? and how bad it's seemed you guys needed a wide receiver. I'm, my hopes are always up in life. You know, I'm an optimistic person, and obviously the compensation or whatever players that we were going after it just didn't make sense. So I trust Brian, and uh, we had some good conversations. I uh, know that we were, you know, in on some things, and it obviously just didn't, uh, didn't pan out. So along those lines, Aaron, um, what are you thinking yesterday where, the Vikings make them, you're obviously chasing the Vikings, they made a move, Eagles, who you're chasing, made a move, what, five days earlier. So what are you thinking when all these things are happening and you guys aren't? Well, with all due respect to those teams, we're chasing some other teams right now. You know, we're, we're uh, we got to get back in the hunt. Uh, those teams are out front right now. So um, I'm worried about our guys that we got in the locker room. Obviously, there's more trades, like I said, in Pat's show yesterday. You know, there's more trades uh, in 2022 than there were in 2005. Uh, that's kind of the trend of the league as you're seeing some teams offload guys maybe in last year's of contracts or guys they don't think they're going to bring back. Um, you know, like I said, I know that we were in on some guys and, and liked a few, but it uh, just didn't work out. So how can this team get better from within? Well, we need our guys to, to play it uh, just a tick higher, I think, all of us. Um, that's what we did in 2016. You know, it wasn't like we really added anybody to the mix. Now, we did get uh, Cookie back from from some injuries um so we gotta you know hopefully get nine and 13 back this week copy a couple more weeks uh, you know we're hopeful that uh, both elton and dave will be able to go 
and there's no surprises on game day. And I think that squad, when you put that together, I think we can we can win some football games with those guys. So I think that's what we're all hoping for. Uh, it's just to get a little bit healthier, and then our guys to just uh, everybody play a little bit better. Are you any more com- Are you any more confident in this receiving group now than you maybe you were a week ago, based on what happened at Buffalo? Or? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm proud of Rome and the way that he uh, showed up and made a couple big catches. Uh, we just got to, you know, make sure his confidence is where it needs to be. When he's a confident player, I mean, he makes hands catches. He's a really talented guy. I'm, I'm really proud of Samari uh, with his uh, second uh, adjustment there on the touchdown. It's a fun moment for the kid, you know, catch your first touchdown in the NFL. Um, and then I thought, uh, you know, eight did some nice things, a uh, nice release on the two-man uh, hole shot down the sideline. So we're going to need plays from those guys, regardless if uh, we got our guys back or not. We need those guys to be able to, to go in and spell guys and, and make plays when the number's called. Aaron, back at the start of the offseason, you made it clear that you didn't want to be a part of a rebuild. And obviously with the extension, it was the decision was to maximize this window for all you can. Given where this team is, I know that Brian tried, but, but didn't a move need to be made yesterday to, to jumpstart and, and get this team in the second half the right way? Well, I mean, again, that's that's not a, not my uh, area of focus. So Brian didn't think uh, that whatever was out there was worth whatever uh, was required given up. So um, that just sends a message to us that we got to, you know, play with the guys we got and, and win with the guys we got. And I think there's still a lot of confidence in the guys in the locker room. I do feel like we need to get healthy, you know, when we're at our full strength, which we really haven't been this season, whether it's been Dave, you know, not playing early in the season and Eld not playing early in the season. We haven't kind of had the 11 that we thought we were going to play with for extended time. So when we get those guys, I feel like, you know, we got the team uh, to get the job done. You mentioned the, the turnaround in 2016. Your, your turnaround, everyone's turnaround, your turnaround was remarkable the last six months of the regular season. What do you remember about that? Because it really seemed like it was just overboarded. I mean, sometimes you say things uh, to try and get a reaction, get an energy adjustment, even if – you may be not 100% certain that's going to happen. And there's timely moments for those things. Um, I believed it was possible. Did I think it was going to happen? You know, maybe not 100%, but I knew it was possible. And I knew if we just started believing in each other in a different way that it was possible. And I think that's what just needs to happen with these guys is, is when we start expecting to win and not hoping to win, uh, things can change a little bit. It just takes one game. It could be one quarter, one play that can uh, alter the trajectory of a, t- of, of a team, you know, both positively and negatively, and hopefully we make uh, that play, uh, that quarter, that half, whatever it's going to be this week, to put us in the right direction. What changes that to an expectation? Because the last two games you guys have had have kind of carried yourselves with an expectation of them. I mean, every game I take the field, I expect to win, so I'm not sure what you're talking about uh, last couple games. but I meant last couple years, you guys have that expectation to go out and win every game. What changes the hope to an expectation? Well, you got to learn how to win again. Uh, every year, can't you know line up and say, "Oh, we won 13 the last three years. We're going to mow these guys down." It just doesn't happen in this league. The league is deep, and margin of victory is very slim. So we got to play a little bit better and have a couple of those plays go our way, and and hopefully we'll come out uh, with a W. Does it feel a little like now or never against Detroit? Not really. I don't think it ever needs to feel like that. I mean, uh, it just there's a little bit more urgency, I think, as the season gets a, gets into November. Obviously, the weather's changing, which is usually in our favor. And if we can just get a couple of these, you know, I think uh, 
you know, we could start to become that dangerous team that we we believe uh, believed at the beginning of the season we could be. Perry said um, personnel is not your area of focus. This locker room, though, is. We've seen other teams, not even Packers teams, like when the Brewers trade Hater or whatever, where you guys are all human beings, and if things disappoint you, it impacts how guys play. What is your approach with these guys after the trade deadline where you don't add anyone to kind of make sure that there is that positivity and optimism and energy because I'm guessing there's a few guys in here that thought you needed to add somebody and you didn't. Well, we didn't subtract either. I think that's a really important point to make. Um, So obviously the organization, the third floor, believes that we have the right guys in place to win. there's no tanking. There's no rebuild. This is a team that is expected to get the job done. So it's on us as players and also coaches to make sure that you know we're doing everything we can to win football games. Please, go ahead. Are you satisfied they did make enough make an effort, kind of effort you would have wanted to see? Was it was it a difference from previous trade deadlines? I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what the what the overall difference was i mean i assume that brian's you know always working the phones and and in conversations about that kind of stuff so uh i'm not sure how it is differently this year as compared to you know previous years i'd have to kind of go back in the memory banks a little bit Aaron, sunday you said you wanted to sit with it before saying too much after the bills after you've had time to think about where this offense and this team sits what, what are your thoughts on what you have here and whether you can get it pointed in the right direction in time to make a difference i think the key is health you know we got to get our guys healthy when we have our you know our starting five out there up front i feel like we have the guys in place to be able to block it up and take some shots downfield if we don't you know, then we got to adjust some things and, and run the ball a little more effectively. That's what we, you know, obviously we're trying to do was until the fourth quarter was, you know, get the ball out of my hand really quickly, short throws, and then run the football. But in order to win, we're going to have to find ways to push the ball down the field. Going back to 16, were there any signs that were maybe invisible to us that you saw before the turnaround that that, that was going to happen? And conversely, have you picked up on any signs, noticed anything that, that has given you belief that, that that's going to happen again? Not really, to be honest. I think that was that was part of the anxiety around making a statement like that is trust. You have to trust even if you can't see a specific thing clearly that gives you that confidence to say that. Now, the confidence for me comes from within that I feel like at any time I can go on a run and have gone on run, runs of playing at a, at a near perfection level. Um, and I know when I'm playing well, I can raise the level of my teammates in the locker room. So I'm going to expect, you know, to reach that level. Obviously, we got to do some things up front and protect and, and be able to push the ball down the field. But uh, but it wasn't one specific thing that I saw. It was more just a, a feeling that we needed a little bit of a jolt and maybe take some pressure off of the rest of the guys, put it on me uh, to play at a really elite level and that we would uh, all follow and start to believe. And you, and you, you felt it. You know, the guys started talking about uh, how many we had in the in the bag and how many we had left to go, and, and it just kind of became contagious. Is that something that maybe needs to, to raise this year as well, David Clay? I mean, I, I'm always critical of myself, and I always feel like I can do things better. Um, but we need to be able to block things up 
and have time to, to, to throw in order to do some of the things down the field that we hadn't planned last week. And a lot of that stuff, like I said, was, was for nine. You know, we had some things for nine and 87. When he went down, 87 became the move guy. I had to move some different positions. So we had to, you know, Matt did a good job adjusting some things, um, you know, kind of in a short amount of time. But, uh, you know, we need our full roster out there. What's, what's some more? You, or you talk about the playbook. There's a playbook on paper and so on. That touchdown by Samora, I would assume that's what you're talking about. Have you seen that on the practice field, that it wasn't just a one-time thing they did on Sunday, but he's kind of shown that on the field? I've seen his practice habits improve. Um, I nicknamed him uh, Captain Casual in training camp <laughs> as a way to uh, maybe encourage him to start practicing with a little different type of tempo, practicing like a pro. And I don't think he really appreciated that nickname. I mean, who would? Um, but it was, you know, it's gone from a nickname that was legitimate to to more of a joke now because his practice habits have really picked up and I've been impressed with him. And, you know, I had a conversation with him about how I thought it was legitimate and uh, and needed to be uh, a sure thing that he was suiting up by midseason and playing meaningful minutes for us because I, I felt like his ability level is that. But I said, you know, you got to start practicing better. You know, you got to show it to us in practice. And I really feel like the last three weeks he's had really nice practices, you know, going on the look team with Jay and making a lot of plays. And then when he gets opportunities with the first team, uh, not having a drop-off in uh, production or approach. And so you know, I give him a lot of credit for that. There's a, there's a real thing as a rookie wall that everybody hits, and maybe he hit it early in the season because he's been – He's been practicing the right way. You talk about wanting the guys, the young guys especially, to sort of learn you and your tendencies, but to, to Bill's question, on that scramble drill touchdown, is that kind of what you're talking about? Like yeah. wanting to see more? It's just, it, you know, it's it's leaving room for the reaction. You know, we got to get away from the robotic and into the feel, into the into the reactions, the instincts that kick in. And that was just a natural play by him. He's running a deep post. He sees me kind of move to my left, comes out of it. And, uh, and makes a play for a touchdown. So we're going to need some of that. You know, obviously we like to play on time, but there's off-schedule plays need to be made, and we got to make the right reaction, and that was a great reaction by him. Right. How training? do the Lions look different? Do they look different under Dan Campbell than maybe they did in recent years? Well, I mean, I have a lot of history against him. i played against him, uh, I don't know, 28 times, I think, 27 times probably. Um, seen him a lot of times, a lot of different guys over the years, a lot of battles with him, a lot of great trash talk. Um, you know, we obviously ended that long streak of beating him like 30-some times in a row at home when they beat us in 15, um, which was a, a battle. You know, we couldn't move the ball very well that day. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of good battles over the years. Uh, they play hard, you know. Obviously, their offense has scored a lot of points at home, too. I think they average like uh, 35 or so at home. So... They've scored on everybody, too. So we're going to obviously have to come out and score some points on Sunday. Aaron, uh, Von Miller gave us uh, or gave out his half of the conversation that he had with you after the fourth and one. Um, what was your half? What did you say to him when he asked you if you were ever going to throw the football? I don't remember it being after the fourth and one. I mean, there's a few there was a few conversations throughout the day with Von. Von's been an old workout buddy at Proactive for a long time. Um, got some great Von stories, but... Uh, just like that conversation, I'm going to I'm going to keep those Vaughn stories to myself. Is it? Um, you, I think Matt would even admit that you ran the ball more than being balanced. But so many times this offense, it's been less running the football to be balanced. Do you think you found something where maybe if you can find a happy medium, you 
can hang your hat on the run game and the pass game together now more so. Did you discover something in Buffalo, or, or is that not realistic? I think a lot of it was necessity, you know, based on uh, not feeling, you know, great about their front at times in the passing game and want to, uh, you know, run the ball and, and win the time of possession battle. You know, we're all human, too. We hear a lot about how we need to get the ball at 33 a little bit more. And we tried to in the game, and look what happened. You know, the guy makes incredible plays over and over. So we obviously got to keep finding ways to get him the ball in 28 because they're just dynamic players for us. You know, they never go down the first try. You know, they're always, you know, getting max yards. You know, they have some incredible, you know, three- and four-yard runs for us. And then they're breaking runs, too, and get out in the open. They're making guys miss. They're tough tackles. Um, so we got to find ways to get him the ball. But we, we, we got to be balanced. Uh, to win games. You know, we rushed for 200 yards and lost by two scores. So a um, lot of pauses, but we're trying to win football games. You said in training camp, Tom Cummins, he's your biggest critic. You always want to impress him every day. You're out there. How is he, what has he said about your performance as the year's gone, as this year's gone on and anything that stands out to you? Tom's a tough grader, for sure. So he always holds me to a, a really high standard, which I love. Tom's been great for J-Lo. And Danny in the room, you know, and the fundamentals of practice and just all the drill work that we do is so vital to being able to play free on, on game day and also to improve your craft as a young player. So I love having Tom in the room. We have some great conversations. Um, and, uh, you know, I appreciate just his steady hand, not just during the week but on game day. Uh, it's always been a pleasure playing for Tom. Aaron, I know that you hold yourself to the highest standard. You said that your level of play can, can raise the level of guys around you. We've seen that time and time again. Why do you think that hasn't happened yet? Well, we haven't had our full squad. I think that's part of it. You know, we've a lot of guys been hurt. We look at our receiver room. Sammy missed time. Cobby's now missing time. Allen's missed time. Nine's missed time. Um, you know, Bobby was. Uh, you know, kind of limited reps starting the season out. A lot of change up on the offensive line. So we just haven't had our full our full group of guys. And I think that's hurt some of the chemistry and some of the timing and some of the things we wanted to do. We've got into certain games and certain plans that we like. And then, you know, you lose a copy or you lose a nine in the you know first series or whatever. It changes the kind of the dynamic of the whole game. So we, you know, in years past, we had, you know, many guys who could play many positions. You know, those guys were all interchangeable. Everybody could play all three receiver spots. And, and this year, we've kind of more focused on certain guys playing specific spots. So when you have an injury, it changes, you know, some of the stuff you can do. So, um, you know, we just haven't really been hitting on all cylinders because of some of that stuff. Detroit's been averaging 38 points at home this year so far. Is this team capable of a shootout? Better be. You practiced today. Um, what you hadn't been doing, does that mean the thumb is better or getting better, or was that just a necessity thing, or you had that shrug, so I'm assuming it's not the first thing? Well, I heard it was going to be uh, just a jog through, so I figured I might as well get down there and uh, be around. Um, I wish I could tell you it was feeling better, but it was more just necessity of uh, jog through and and uh, feel like my presence down there was uh, kind of more important today than uh, an hour of rehab. Aaron, your thoughts on uh, Jordy Nelson and Josh Sitton going into the Packers Hall of Fame? That's two great players, two guys I love playing with, a lot of great stories about both of them. Um, two guys that carried themselves the right way. Uh, City was a warrior up front, one of the smartest offensive linemen I've ever been around. You know, his ability to kind of take the 
plan every Wednesday and then go to the, the walkthrough and be able to make adjustments on his own and, and make, it, make all the calls was just incredible. And the guy who played multiple positions for us over the years, I still remember a lot of things about him, but he never wore an undershirt underneath his, uh, his jersey, so he'd take his pads off and you know, have his bare belly out. Um, but damn, he was a good player, man. He was a tough, tough dude. And then Jordy, you know, that's that's family right there. You know, just the the time we spent together was amazing. You know, we were uh, carpool buddies for years to the airport, and then a lot of time after games together, getting to know Emily and the kids, and uh, just a great great dude, and a lot of great memories, uh, including couple in the Super Bowl that were pretty special. Aaron, you, um, Last year for you mentioned the positivity and the optimism you have. I was going back in the archives to a 05 story about Brett, and I think you were 3-11 and at the time, and he was talking about how lost he felt because he had never been through that before. Obviously, that was your rookie year. Do you remember what he was going through there, and how do you make sure that you keep your positivity and optimism do you take any lessons from that experience watching him go through it? Well, I hope I, we don't get in that situation. <laughs> I do remember that year very vividly, just like I remember most of them, but that was a tough year for everybody. Um, obviously, there were uh, questions about whether or not he was going to keep playing at the end of the season. I think, you know, to be sitting there, at, you know, 3-11 and 11 was, uh, was obviously not ideal uh, for us. There were some really tough moments in that season, ups and downs and, and frustrations and um, you know, I think you just have to be the guy that people can resonate off of. You have to be that uh, that centering stick for everybody. Um, positive, accountable, um, energy, enthusiasm, all the things you bring to practice. People are always watching you. They're always watching the head coach and the quarterback and the leaders of the football team. And sometimes it just takes one little crack for the whole thing to spill open. I feel like that year, earlier than 3-11, and 11, there were a lot of people looking at their off-seasons. There were a lot of people checking out. And I'd never been a part of everything in NFL, so I didn't know if that was normal or if that was uh, different. But I don't really see this group the same way. I think this is a, uh, a group that's won before, that knows how to win, and that, uh, again, we haven't broke. You know, there hasn't been people popping off or saying a bunch of things or pointing the finger in public or behind closed doors. So that gives me even more optimism that we have what it takes to get this thing turned around. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers at his locker earlier this week. All right, let's change gears and hear from uh, someone who has covered the Detroit Lions for a long time and a longtime friend of mine. You can hear him on WXYT Radio in Detroit. He's Jeff Rieger. Jeff, I appreciate the time. How are you doing today? Doug, what's going on? Long time no talk. How you been? I'm doing all right. I, I don't know that I'm doing as well as either one of the football teams right now because it seems as though this is a game that's been on kind of a collision course for the last couple of weeks. The 1-6 uh, and six Lions taking on the 3-5 and five Packers. Green Bay's lost four in a row, as the entire National Football League, I think, knows. But when you look at this... This Lions team, Jeff, I mean, they're one of the most explosive teams offensively in the NFL, but one of the worst teams defensively. How frustrating has this all been for Lions fans over the last several years? 
Well, first of all, I think it's this year that's the most frustrating. So last year was a rebuild, and once Patricia and Quinn were fired, every Lions fan signed up for, okay, we know 2021 is going to stink. And it did, and they won three games last year. They also had a tie against the Steelers. But I think a lot of Lions fans thought, okay, we're on hard knocks this year. You had a full off season to get better. Let's see what happens. And especially in an NFC where the Packers, no offense, guys, aren't very good, the Bucks aren't very good, the defending world champ Rams are not very good, and you got, like, the Giants that are, like, a five-win football team, and Seattle trades away Russell Wilson and their best linebacker, and they're a first-place team in the NFC West. So I think Lions fans are like, listen, we don't need to be great. We're not going to the Super Bowl. We're in Detroit. We get it. However, it would be nice to be in the playoff graphic when January rolls around. But the way things have been, it's been very frustrating. The offense has been a pleasant surprise, I think, for most Lions fans. The defense has really taken away all the surprise of the offense and made every Lions fan disgusted. You mentioned HBO's Hard Knocks. I watch it every year. Um, I think that this past year was a little bit more compelling than the last couple of years. But what was your takeaway? I mean, you cover this team. What was what was your takeaway of the portrayal of the Lions this year? Well, I, I think it was a couple things. First of all, I think we all root for Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell is a guy that, and I know this is said a lot, but you want to go to the bar and have a beer with him. Like He is a guy that you root for, and especially coming from Matt Patricia. All of Detroit hated Matt Patricia. They hated the beard. They hated that he was supposedly a defensive genius, that he was supposedly a rocket scientist. He started apparently aeronautical engineering at RPI. Like, everybody was so sick and tired of Patricia that Dan Campbell was a welcome, like, surprise. He's very open. He'll tell you everything you want to know. And I think he's just a guy that you root for. And he played in the league, and he was on the 0-16 Lions. And I think he won a lot of people over during the hard knocks with the grit and how he kind of went about the business. And he seems like guys really want to play hard for him. So I think Dan Campbell became a star until the season started, and now fans want him fired, of course. And then I think the other thing was, and you can't buy too much into hard knocks, but I think we were duped by the defense. You know, at one point we're thinking to ourselves, and they even said it, wow, we have a defense. And, you know, cut scene to eight weeks later, and the Lions, especially in the secondary, are the worst in pretty much every defensive category across the board. All right, so everybody loves Dan Campbell, but is he a good coach, in your opinion? So I don't think he is, no, and that's the thing. So Dan Campbell, I think they say players play hard for him, but that's a baseline minimum. I mean, you get paid a lot of money to play this game. I know it's dangerous, but, I mean, you expect guys to play hard. So I don't get too carried away with that. But there's been way too many instances where Dan Campbell, I think the moment was too big for him, whether it be I'm too aggressive on fourth down, whether it be I'm not aggressive enough, whether it be clock management, taking three timeouts into the half, not understanding the flow of the game. I think Lions fans are okay with this rebuild. And now the Lions have come out and said, listen, you know, it's worse than we thought it was going to be without saying that. The owner came out last Wednesday and said this is a teardown, essentially saying this is the worst rebuild of any rebuild you've ever seen, so you got to give us time. And I think Lions fans are okay giving them time, but I think the one thing you got to figure out is do you have a head coach? And two years, I think, is enough time to figure out that Dan Campbell, while I think he's a great motivator and I think he's a great guy, no, I don't think he's a great coach. And you'll see it on Sunday. There will come a time today, there'll come a time where – 
the moment might be too big for Dan Campbell, and he'll go away from what he normally does, or he'll make a play that just leaves you scratching your head. Like the one that really everybody talks about happened about five weeks ago. They were in Minnesota. They were a one-on-one football team. Lions fans were excited. Aiden Hutchinson had a massive game against the Commanders the week before, and they went into Minnesota, who was now 6-1, and one, and they were up 10 points in the fourth quarter. And Dan Campbell in the fourth quarter lost his mind. He decided to take a kicker that was hurt and attempt a 54-yard field goal or 52-yard field goal, which, of course, he missed it. Next thing you know, Kirk Cousins rolls down the field with about a minute left, and the Vikings win. And it was all downhill from there. They haven't won since. They're on a five-game losing skit. So it's plays and decisions like that last year and this year that I think, yeah, he's probably not a great coach. Well, let me ask you this then. Who is the face of the Detroit Lions franchise? Is it Dan Campbell? Is it Sheila Ford Hamm? Is it still Matthew Stafford, even though he hasn't played there in a couple of years? Well, weird thing about Stafford, and you guys never have to deal with this because you've got a good quarterback, something that Detroit wishes they had. But, but, Doug, it was nauseating last year. So the Lions traded away Stafford for two first-round picks. And maybe this, I mean, the Rams aren't very good this year, so maybe they'll get lucky on the second, second-round pick, or first-round pick, rather. But this entire town, this state, Lions Nation, if you will, turned into Rams fans. And they called themselves, I'm not even kidding about this, the Detroit Rams. And they rooted like crazy for Stafford to win a Super Bowl. I mean, while I was sitting here thinking to myself, you guys are rooting for a guy that's no longer yours. But yeah, all of Detroit was rooting for this guy, so... If you say Matthew Stafford, that might be the answer. Other than that, I don't think it's Dan Campbell. I think it was maybe at the start of the season. Maybe it would be Sheila Fordham. I think fans want to believe in Aiden Hutchinson, the second overall pick. He hasn't done enough yet, I think, to claim that mantle. DeAndre Swift's a very good running back, but unfortunately he's always hurt. So, again, I don't think he could claim that mantle either. So that's a fantastic question. Do you want to say Rory, their mascot? I honestly think <laughs> the guy that thinks more down the field when the Lions score. I don't know. That's a fantastic question. And, um, you know, just another depressing fact about the Lions, I guess. For a second, let's talk about the the Stafford Goff trade from a year and a half ago. How is that? How is it originally viewed, and how is it viewed now by Lions fans? So I think it's viewed the same. I, I think at the time, Lions fans loved it because it was obvious. You're in a rebuild. Stafford wanted out, and you got two first-round picks. And what you don't know about Detroit, Doug, or maybe you do, Detroit loves draft picks. Like, the Lions just traded T.J. Hawkinson. They got a second and third. They gave away a couple fourths and Hawkinson to the Vikings. And this trade is universally loved here in Detroit because you get more draft picks. Because you think that with enough draft picks, eventually maybe you'll have a good team. And unfortunately, the draft is the Lions' Super Bowl. But getting back to the trade, I think most fans liked it. I think there was a portion of the fan base that always thought Stafford got too much blame. I think there was a portion of the fan base that thought Stafford didn't do enough when he had chances to do a lot. But to get two first-round picks for Stafford, I think everybody was totally fine with it. It killed me to see him win a Super Bowl. Everybody else loved it. But this year, if they miss the playoffs, it's going to turn out well for the Lions. The only thing that I think might rub fans the wrong way about that trade is the Carolina Panthers offered more and more instantaneously. They offered the eighth overall pick, and you could have maybe come away with last year's draft, Panay Sewell and like Michael Parsons, right? So you add that to this team and you say to yourself, wow, it's a pretty good team, or at least you get some building blocks. So I think some fans wished 
that the Lions brass think if Stafford is way he wanted to go to L.A., they probably wish maybe shop him around to truly the best offer. But overall, I think the fan base is fine with it. Final thing for you is we're joined by Jeff Rieger from 97.1 The Ticket in Detroit. What do the Lions have to do if they're going to win today's game? <laughs> um, okay, so the Packers can't stop the run. So expect a heavy dose of Jamal Williams. If DeAndre Swift plays, I wouldn't expect much of them, considering they played him too much last week and, and he's truly banged up. But the Lions should and will have success on the ground. So I would expect to see, hopefully, them flourish in that instance. But it's the secondary that kills the Lions. Across the board, they have three of the four worst safeties and corners in all of football. They have the worst secondary in all of football. So I would assume that Aaron Rodgers, who has had great success against Detroit, and really the NFL, but especially Detroit and the Bears probably, right? I would assume Rodgers is probably looking at this game as we're three and five. We lost four in a row. This is our get right game. This division might not be winnable, but this NFC is still makeable for the playoffs. So I would say you find a way to stop your passing offense and the Lions can win the football game. The problem is the Lions have had showing no ability. Like Doug, there is a better chance that Aaron Rodgers throws six touchdowns than the Lions getting you to punt one. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Go back to the Miami game last week. The Lions forced one punt. Two weeks before that, when they went against Bailey Zappi, they forced one punt. Go back to the game before that against Seattle. They forced zero punts. So if I were you guys, I'd give your punter a break. Don't even bring them. You're not going to need them. But I, I would have seen them. The Packers get right in this game and probably take it to the Lions. The spread is three and a half. That seems like easy money. You probably want to take Green Bay. Jeff Rieger from 97 won the ticket in Detroit. Well, win, lose, or draw, we appreciate the uh, time. Enjoy the game, but we'll talk to you again down the road. Doug, always a pleasure. Good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, Jeff. Good luck to you as well. There he goes. Jeff Rieger from WXYT Radio in Detroit joining us here on the Doug Russell Podcast. That'll do it for this edition of the show. Don't forget my Packers pregame show, Packers Game Day. That takes to the airwaves at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning on 97.3, the game in Milwaukee and throughout the state of Wisconsin. Uh, Mark Daniels will join me at 8 o'clock, and we will dive deep into the uh, latest with the Green Bay Packers. Rob Reichel scheduled to join us on Sunday morning at about 7.45 as well, so definitely looking forward to catching up with Rob. That'll do it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. We'll see you next time.